You're listening to the Rent Roll Radio Show with Sterling Chapman. Hey, Rent Roll Radio listeners, welcome back to the show. As always, I'm your host, Sterling Chapman. Today, we're joined by John Sinclair from uh, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. I'm really excited to, to interview John for a number of reasons. I, I met John through my, my, my best friend in the whole world, Bobby Grimes. Um, he is in, in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and he's been, he's been wanting to uh, get into the, the real estate and, and burning houses and stuff. And he said, man, I know this really cool guy who's doing it up here. You got to meet him. And he's, he's always talking about it, always speaking very very highly of you so i was uh i was really really excited to, to get you on the show and, and get to know you so thank you so much for joining us john and welcome to the show yeah likewise man he said so much good about you and told me about your podcast quite a while ago so glad to get to meet with you and have a conversation awesome so can you tell us your story how you got into real estate um just describe your journey a little bit and where you came from what you're doing now and where you're going yeah sure so uh, at like 17, I was up late at night watching an infomercial and it was a guy named Carlton Sheets who was selling a no money down thing. So I was 17. I didn't have a credit card. So I begged my mom, will you please order this for me? And she did. And I paid her back. And uh, I remember going downstairs. I forgot the course and asking my dad, hey, this is talking about something called a mortgage. What is that? So I didn't have anything. I didn't know anything. But the infomercial was just so interesting. And it, man, it just piqued my interest. And uh, uh, so I bought a house right away as an owner occupant at 18. I used my savings and bought a house with an FHA loan. Uh, within a couple of years, I bought another house as an FHA loan. And I was working in a factory at the time and I hated it, hated it, hated it. And I was referring deals to a friend and she was giving me gift cards as they would buy houses, a realtor. And I thought, man, she's giving me these gift cards. What could I do if I just sold the house? And so I started selling houses to the friends in the factory where I was working instead of referring those out. And I was able to get out of the factory uh, and really just been buying real estate ever since then. Uh, we had a real estate brokerage in Tennessee. And 16 years ago, we relocated from Tennessee to North Idaho. Uh, I run a real estate team here. I have a real estate portfolio that I own and manage over $14 million in assets. Uh, we have 66 units and we use, uh, we buy most all of our units with other, pe- other people's money, um, owner financing, creative financing, all things that I learned in the No Money Down series from 20 years ago. Uh, we're expounding upon that and just been doing the same thing for 20 years. Awesome. Awesome. There's a ton of stuff to unpack there. Um, I, you know, well, you're that's not the, the f- overview. You can unpack <laughs> where you want to go. You, you, you're not the first person to mention the Carlton, Carlton Sheets infomercials. I, I've never heard of him. But I mean, I've I, on this show interviewing folks like yourself. I've had two or three people reference. That's how they got into real estate. But I, I've never I've never seen him, you know, personally on TV. So I, I'm going to I'm going to look that up. He seemed to get a lot of people going. He was the original info marketer for sure. Awesome. So where um, so. You, you got into both sides of real estate, not only investing, but you decided to go and get your, your license to sell real estate and then ultimately started a brokerage. A real estate team. We're with Keller Williams. So we, we have our umbrella of Keller Williams and then the broker Sinclair team within it. We've got four agents on the team and two staff. So uh, we have a full service real estate team. Uh, we are focused on investors. We like to work with investors. That's, our, that's, that's what we really enjoy is helping other investors make money. Awesome. So why the relocation from Tennessee to Coeur d'Alene? I would think in the model that you're using, it would be a lot easier to find 
good good cash flow and deals in Tennessee than it is in North Idaho. True. Uh, I guess I've considered myself a real estate agent for the past probably 15 years. Uh, maybe within the last three to five years is when I um, switched over to like I'm in, more of an investor or seeing it as a business. It's always just been something I'd done. Uh, but my wife grew up in Coeur d'Alene to answer your question. And we came on, we came to visit. It was beautiful. Uh, I felt like the town where I was in Tennessee was very small and I kind of wanted to just do bigger things. And I was very young. I thought, Hey, let's go out West and see what happens. Yeah. Um, yeah. I assume it was the summer when you went and visited. <laughs> it was, it was September. Yeah. September, August. Yeah. I fell for that once. I went and I went in, I went and uh, visited in, in uh, June. I was like, Oh, it's beautiful. I'm moving here. And then November came around. I said, Oh, what did I get myself into? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, we, we have long winters, but we just learn to uh, do the things in the winter that are fun. So skiing, snowshoeing, yeah, winter stuff. Absolutely. Well, having uh, having been out of power for the last week in South Louisiana um, with our heat down here, I, I long for the, the Coeur d'Alene winters. Uh, Tell us, uh, tell us a, more about how you built your portfolio. You'd mentioned a lot of no money down strategies. And, um, and so often when I meet newcomers and people want to get started, I was talking to somebody yesterday. They said, well, hey, man, all I've got is $30,000 saved up. Do you think I can get a house with that? I was like, you can do a lot with $30,000. Probably can't buy a house with cash with it. But there's a lot of ways that you know, hard money lenders, seller financing, down payment. So tell us a little bit about the, the, the no money strategies that you've incorporated along the way. Uh, well, to, to be fair, I always hate it when people say no money down and they're mm-hmm. full of crap. Uh, we try to keep as little money into the deal as we can. But to answer your question, uh, I always ask the sellers, do you want to cash out? Or are you looking to earn a return? Would you be willing to hold the paper? Would you be willing to finance? So, and that's an easy question. If they say no, you just go with plan B. Uh, so always go to the seller first and ask them for owner financing, or I'm looking online for owner financing. Um, I work with private lenders uh, who just have money in the bank and they need a good return, five to 7% return. Um, and we put them in first mortgage position and they'll be there for, a year or two until we refinance or some of them like to leave it and amortize it. Uh, that works well for us. Uh, I never pay a lender off without asking, Hey, would you like to do it again? I learned that in collective genius was to always ask the next person uh, or to always ask them, are you, would you like to go into the next deal? Because you've got a lender sitting right there. So always try to find the next deal so they can keep their money working for them. Uh, I work really hard to keep my lenders in the loop, let them know what's happening and send them picture updates. I just want them to feel comfortable with the deal. They all love working with us. And so uh, they'll sign up to do it again. Um, we've done lease purchases. That, that was really interesting. I did a really cool lease purchase uh, that worked out. When the seller sold it, we 1031 her money into a project that we wanted to buy. And we lease purchased that property too. So that was <laughs> super cool. Can you elaborate? Can you elaborate on that process a little bit for our listeners that might not understand that that strategy? Yeah, um, we. Let me see. She called me from an ad run in the paper. We run an ad in the paper year round that says we buy houses. I just leave it sitting there, and about once or twice a year, I'll be able to buy something, and it more than covers the ad. So that's a marketing tip for you. Just set it and forget it. Um, she called, she wanted us to buy it. I couldn't make the numbers work. There wasn't enough meat on the bone for our model, which is buying below market value so that we can refinance it and get our money back. Uh, but she mentioned lease purchase. She just kind of didn't want to do the remodel that was ahead of her. 
And so that worked well for us. We were able to go in and do all the repairs for like $15,000, had control of the asset. Uh, we did a two-year lease purchase. Uh, we put the home on the market without really owning it. And we found a buyer who was a conventional buyer and they were able to do that one-time close, the unicorn deal that people talk about that never really yeah. happened. So I did that. I was so excited. Um, so we never actually had to buy it and take it down. So whenever we sold it, uh, we used their funds to kind of buy it from the lease purchase, the lady who was lease purchasing it to us. Uh, and then she had to do a 1031. She's like, what are we going to do? And we were under contract on a different property across town. And I said, well, I could assign this to you. You could buy it and we could lease purchase it for you. And she was like, yeah, that sounds great. So I thought it was great because we were able to buy a whole nother property without any money down. Uh, she 1031 her money. Uh, and in a year, we were able to refinance that and just get traditional finance. We were able to uh, do quite a bit there with very little money out of pocket. Uh, to be fair, we did have $15,000 in repair on the front end. Uh, but sure. for that two years, our Coeur d'Alene market went nuts. We were able to gain massive appreciation because we were in control of it. We exercised our option to purchase based on a price two years ago and sold at today's prices. So that was just a fantastic little to no, no money down deal that we did. So it is definitely a great time to own real estate in Coeur d'Alene and almost impossible to do if you don't already. Um, our, speaking of... of my, my, my friend that, that introduced us, you, you sold that house, you sold him that house. It, and it went from, it didn't, it appreciated $80,000 in the time it took them to build it. Yep. That that's an, that that's an insane market. Now I'm curious um, in, in that market. And for those of you listeners that, that aren't familiar with Coeur d'Alene, it was, it just came out. It was like the, the fastest growing real estate market in the country. Yeah. Um, so we're number two or three now behind Spokane and Missoula, but yeah, it's, it's crazy. I, so I, <laughs> I sent, um, when I saw that article and, and Bobby had been telling me that for forever, I sent a bunch of mailers out from prop stream to like, we buy houses, mail, like little, um, postcards. I sent a bunch to Coeur d'Alene and a bunch to, um, to Spokane and, and they laughed me out of town. I mean, they, I would get text responses saying, I'm sure you've heard, but we're the fastest growing. So if you want to offer me $20,000 over what Zillow said it's worth, I'll consider it. But besides that, don't waste your time. Yeah. Things, things got out of hand pretty quick here. Uh, it really did change. It, it's been on an upward trajectory really since I've moved here. Well, we went through the recession then after that. Um, but since March, I mean, the whole country went crazy in March 2020, and uh, we just had hyperinflation with uh, people from more restrictive states around us wanting the freedom that Idaho was offering. Yeah. Yeah. Folks have been moving from California to, to Coeur d'Alene for years, but it just kind of like once the lockdown started, it just uh, opened up the floodgates. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so my, my next question is around cash flow. So, you know, I've looked at many properties in that area and, and I just, the, and don't get me wrong, the rents are high, but just relative to the, the value of the houses, I just, I can't find anything that cash flows are your, and you, you'd mentioned you, most of what you do is like the burst strategy where you, you rent it out to cover your note. Are you seeing very much cash flow above your expenses or 
are you just basically breaking even on the cash flow side, knowing that the value is going to shoot up over time and you're going to. Yeah, that, that's a great question. Everything that we buy has to cash flow or be dang close to it. I'm not really worried about putting money in my pocket every month. I'm not trying to retire off of these right now. I'm trying to build a massive portfolio that's going to pay itself off and change generations. So I know that's not going to happen like right now. So I'm using my real estate team to fund my life. Uh, we're buying assets um, that all cash flow, but they're not cash flowing significantly. Now with time, we've been able to pay some down, which has dramatically, drastically helped the cash flow situation. Um, but we don't buy market value properties. Uh, we just, sure. I couldn't go on the MLS right now and find something if I had $300,000 right. and wanted to buy it right now. I just couldn't do it. Um, so we do lots of marketing. Uh, we do lots of networking with other agents. Whenever that deal that you're afraid of comes on the market, you know, give us a call. We can sell, we can buy it. We can make it easy. Uh, the stuff that we buy, most people run from. Uh, we buy lots yeah. of big fixtures. We're not afraid of structural issues. Uh, we find massive value from that. We look for, can we split off the side yard, sell that side yard for $120,000 to bring the value down so they will cash flow. And we are definitely holders. So we like to hold everything every now and then we'll flip something just for cash flow, but we are really in the hold game uh, just knowing that this quarter lane market is so attractive to people to come to and uh, we're experiencing that appreciation, which is pretty wonderful. Yeah. I never sell anything. And, and a lot of people come to me, why don't you flip houses? I'm like, well, cause I don't have to, and anybody who doesn't have to shouldn't, shouldn't sell, you know, I interviewed, uh, are you, f- you're familiar, I assume with bigger pockets and the, sure. so one of the, the main guys on there, Jay Scott, who wrote the book on flipping houses. He also book on estimating rehab costs, uh, recession proof real estate investing. He wrote a, a plethora of books for him. I think he hosted their, their business podcast. Um, real, real, real sharp guy. But when I interviewed him, his number one piece of advice was that he regretted every house he ever sold. So the guy who wrote the book on flipping houses regretted every house they ever sold. Yeah. And, you know, maybe we can spend some time on that for people out there who are in that. I want to flip it, but I want to hold it. Your first time you do that, it's hard. It's like, man, that $20,000 would do, you know, send the family to Disney world. Who knows what it would do? something important in your life. And it always will. It will always do something important in your life. But I remember that struggle of, but we can hold it, but we don't have to go to Disney world, but we don't have to do that. We can keep this one. Uh, And so that's always going to be a struggle as you start that. But I really feel uh, for your net worth and for your life goals, long-term holding real estate, that's going to appreciate while you're sleeping. It's just fantastic. Well, that's the only reason I do it. So, uh, you know, we, we have jobs, and, and, and don't get me wrong. You can make a ton of money flipping houses, but it's just at the end of the day, it's just another job. Um, the whole thing that attracted us to the investing thing in the first place was, was the idea of, like you said, m- making money while you sleep and not having to work forever. So, you know, if you get into house flipping, I mean, you're just going to have another high paying occupation. Um, and that was always my, my thought process around it. And, and, you know, and maybe I, I have a privileged perspective because I, you know, I do have a day job that, that I do well at, and I'm, I'm able to have everything I want without having to sell somebody, you know, maybe fresh out of college or, or just busting into the game that, you know, that's, that's kind of bootstrapping it. They might need to sell a few houses to cover their living expenses while they build up the portfolio. So certainly not knocking 
not knocking yeah. it if if that's what you need to do to get to get to the next level. But if you have the um, the ability, you know, to to hold them, that's that's the real generational wealth yeah. creator right there. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. We flipped plenty of houses in the past two decades and it's done great things for the family. But um, it, it's a fantastic way to help get ahead is to flip a few houses. But just when you can, I would encourage you to do what's hard and hold that puppy. Yeah, absolutely. So can you walk us through kind of what some of these, like the specific numbers on some of these deals look like? I always wonder because, you know, I'll, I'll tell you why I wonder. So when I first started, I I, I, bought, I remember buying my first house and, and it was like, it wasn't a burr because I didn't know how to fix anything. So I put like $15,000 down. It was a $75,000 house. By the way, this was three years ago and it just appraised for 140 and I never fixed a thing in it. And I'm in, I'm in the, you know, the slums down here. I'm not in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. So it's, it's, it's shooting up all over. But I, at the time I put down 15 grand and I bought a $75,000 house and it rented for 1060 and my mortgage principal interest taxes and insurance were um, five sixty. So I went around telling everybody, Oh, I'm cash flowing $500 a month, you know, add, add 10 of these puppies up and I'm making $5,000 a month and I'm retiring. But as, as I'm sure we all know, that's not really the end of the story, right? right. <laughs> I had, I, I, I was on my high horse for a year before I had an $8,000 um, sewer line that I had to Ooh. crack the slab open to get it. And there goes my, all the money I made that year. So like, so then you get to like, all right, well now to really, I've kind of like adjusted my metrics that I track right from cash flow. Now I, I do what I call a um, net passive income, which is still just probably not conservative enough forecast where I go, all right, I'll take 20% off the top line revenue and give that to management and repair and maintenance and vacancy. Um, but even that, that I know 20%. <laughs> yeah. So what I've, what I've started doing is I'll, you know, off the bottom, I'll, I'll do principal interest taxes and insurance. And then off the top, I'll do 20% for, um, for management, um, for management and, and vacancies and repairs. And, and again, I don't think that's conservative enough. It's conservative enough for me, because if I got in a bind, if I lost my day job, I could always take the, I could take it back. You know, I don't have to pay the management company. Right. Um, so in my mind, if I lost my job and I had to live off of that income, I could, I could drop the management cost. And I think the 20% would cover repair and vacancy. Okay. So, so that's just kind of, and that's what, and I might be completely off base. And that's why I like to ask other investors who have a similar model, like what do your cash flow numbers look like? How are you, calculating that yeah uh i'm a very simple investor uh so i think my answer is going to be a lot like yours uh we literally look at what it's going to cost to to buy it to finance it uh what those payments will be how much all the uh taxes insurance maintenance and management would be and then does it cover that can we get the rent there or what can we do to get the rent there uh we've started adding areas for people to park shipping containers or RV parking for $300. Uh, so things like that. Um, I can run through one of my deals that I got up. We just bought a place outside of town. So it's called the silver Valley. It's about 30 minutes from here. Yep. It was a commercial building. 
We paid $160,000 for it. We got the owner to finance it with $20,000 down. So $10,000 out of pocket for me and 10,000 for my partner. Uh, we got him to owner finance it at like $1,100 a month. Okay. And then we rented it for $2,000 a month. Awesome. So, uh, you know, it's, it's not a house. Uh, it's in an area that's not Coeur d'Alene, but it's within driving distance. So we have found as the market has gotten just crazy, we are looking for unique type deals. We look at industrial, we look at commercial. Uh, with everything we look at, we see, is there a way to put an accessory dwelling unit in the backyard? Is there a way to hook up an RV? Uh, can we separate the shop? and rent the shop separately if it's got some shop space. So we love making our places multi-tenant if we can. Uh, anytime we can get a property to multi-tenant, it really, really helps the cash flow. Oh, awesome. Absolutely. Um, so what advice do you have for, for, for yourself if you were starting all over again? Just l- looking back, if, if, if you were starting from the beginning on your investing strategies or maybe somebody who's, so for the, for the Bobby Grimes out there who are looking to, to dip, you know, dive in head first, what, uh, what advice do you have? Um, you know, basic stuff, get your financial house in order first. Um, so get out of debt if you can, and then start investing. Uh, I think that's super important. Uh, have a mentor. I was fortunate to have a friend who was 20 years older than me and had 50 rental units whenever I worked at the factory. And he would every day on lunch, he would talk to me about real estate and get me excited about it. So uh, I came from in my brain, like, oh, 50 units is totally doable. Here's a friend who's working at the factory who's doing it in this tiny town. We can do it. So it wasn't a giant stretch. I always knew that we'd have 50 or more units. Um, now I wish that I hung around people who had a hundred units or so <laughs> I've got the bug. So we're not going to stop. It doesn't matter. Uh, but mentoring is good. I've listened to several of your podcasts where I heard other people say that stick to someone who's like a step or two ahead of you and not, not so far that it's overwhelming. Sure. Um, uh, find a fantastic agent that you can really trust, make sure that they know they're after repair values and they don't just have commission breath trying to sell you something because anybody can buy something, but selling it is, the hard part. You've got to make your money when you buy it. That's real estate 101. And that holds extremely true. Um, you can't always sell your way out of a bad deal, not without coming out of your pocket. Absolutely. Now for somebody that's in the current market in Coeur d'Alene, would you, have you ever done anything long distance? Have you ever, like, since you've got to Coeur d'Alene, have you ever looked back to start investing in Tennessee again? I have. We bought a 17 unit apartment complex in Tennessee um, it was a good move. Uh, we did a whole remodel of all 17 units long distance and we sold it because it was such a pain in the rear to kind of oversee and manage from here. Um, I also bought a house in Florida because it was cheap. It was in Panama city. It was $40,000 and I had $40,000 in my self-directed <laughs> 401k. And I'm going to do this. How can you go wrong? I ended up selling it three months later for like 42,000. Um, so I, I'm not a fan of long distance investing. I know that there's wonderful books on it. There's all kinds of models on it, but uh, as long as I can keep finding deals in my backyard, even though it's hard, that's what I want to stick to doing. Our business model includes us at least doing the general contractor portion of it. Uh, that's part of how we can continue our burst strategy is just getting things done pretty affordably. Yeah. I, I say that all the time. Um, if, if I had to go out and hire a general contractor, none of my deals would have worked. 
you know, just from the, from a rehab cost perspective, you know? So if, if you, if you're sitting here with the phone book and you go, okay, I got this deal, it costs this much. This is the ARV. And you call the first guy in the phone book, this general contractor to give you a quote, like, like that's not going to work for me either. Like that's not how I did this, you know, that that's a significant savings. If you can, if you can sub it out that way and it doesn't take a tremendous amount of, of like, education on construction the way you you would you would expect it to and you you find people who you can use over and over and over and it gets it gets easy you get into a system and if you're doing just rentals instead of flips everything can be consistent rental grade quality um one other thing i could tell you uh, investing in a super expensive area is don't think about what everybody else is doing like everybody else is just renting so if i looked at some of my deals they wouldn't cash flow but they were really good deals when we bought them and they had good equity and they still went in cash flow, but I wanted them. So I was like, ah, how else can I buy this and make someone else pay for it? Um, and we found travel nurses were super profitable. Uh, so we've gotten into hosting houses for travel nurses. And then being that we're in a vacation rental market, we can convert those to Airbnbs for three to four months of the summer and even double what we were getting on travel nurses. And then the off season, we switched back to travel nurses. So that might be a tip for people who are in an expensive market like we are. Uh, just think outside of the box. What else could you possibly do to maximize the return for that property? Absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned that vacation rental because I, I would think Coeur d'Alene would be an epicenter for vacation rentals. Mm. It's so good. It's so good. We've got five of them that we manage now um, and they're just, they're fantastic. We really enjoy them. Awesome. So real quick, I want to hop over to our radio round to kind of uh, help our listeners get to know you a little bit more. So it's just three quick questions. The first one is what's your favorite book? And you're not going to like this because I was just listening to one of your shows where you were talking about um, rich dad, poor dad, but he was a game changer, man. So cash flow quadrant, rich dad, poor dad, uh, that, that really taught me how to get over to the right side of the quadrants. Uh, we ended up naming our 401k company ended up funding a lending company called BRQ, which stands for bottom right quadrant. And that's where the investor's money is working for them. So I have my 401k that I now loan out to investors and builders. And that company is called BRQ as a little throwback to Robert Kiyosaki and just kind of a congrats. We did it. Awesome. And, and now I tease about that, but that, that, that book was absolutely, uh, life. I mean, I could tell you the day I read it and I'm a slow reader and, uh, and I normally don't like to read. And I, I remember it was, it was, uh, February 4th, 2018. And I, I woke up, I was, I was I, at the time I was like, wake up early and forcing myself to read for an hour before work. And that particular day, I didn't even go to work. I sat on the couch and read it cover to cover. And I just like, <laughs> now I never read uh I never read Cash Flow Quadrant. I bought it with the intention of reading it, but uh-huh. I, I felt like it would probably be redundant. Or is that is that should I go back and revisit Cash Flow Quadrant or is it pretty much the same principles from Rich Dad? Yeah, it's pretty much the same. It it expands yeah. upon it, but I'm sure in your position you get it. Uh, but it, it expands upon how even if you're in the bottom left corner, you're not really a business owner, you're a contractor working for yourself. Just yes. kind of explains a little bit more. Yeah, it's so true. And I mean, I, I mean, when I first 
it becomes clear when you first start kind of investing in real estate and you're doing everything yourself. When I was managing all the properties and answering all the phone calls and I was out there trying to fix stuff that I have no business fixing. I'm not good at fixing stuff, you know? So I was, I I mean, I was trying to, you know, make it big doing $10 an hour task. And it was like, well, you're, you're never going to get there doing it like that. Um, You know, if I, if I had a real estate, brokerage or, you know what I mean? The management that I would, would be a different story, but, um, but no, that that's, that's a, a excellent book. And, and I hear it over and over again for, for a very good reason. So yeah. um, awesome. What is your also favorite? Like the book hold the book hold. hold. That was a good one. I named an LLC after that. So every time I have to sell a property, I have to write, I have to sign hold, like, dang it, you're <laughs> supposed to keep this. Why are you selling it? <laughs> Uh, but that was a book by, it wasn't Gary Keller, but it was associated with Keller Williams agents. And it was all about holding assets. And if you need to sell it, don't sell it, re-leverage it and have Speak, the tenant paid off again. Speaking of Gary Keller, that is one of my other favorite uh, real estate books is The Millionaire Real Estate Investor. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. That's my, that my, my, like my kind of like starter pack combo. When I meet new wannabe investors, I tell them, yeah. you go read rich dad, poor dad, then read Gary Keller's millionaire real estate investor. Yeah. And then read Brandon Turner's um, the book on rental property investing. Yeah. The MRI is tricky. It, it, it is so huge that you can keep going back to it as you grow, as you grow your business and you scale and you're like, Oh, okay. Now this chapter is relevant. But at first yeah. it can be like, what are they talking? About. One of the one of the really good habits that I took away from that one was um, was reviewing my balance sheet weekly. So yeah. pulling up your your balance sheet, your net worth, and going, all right, well, how can I move this number? What am I doing right now to move this number in the right direction? And make all your decisions based off of that. And that that's like that constant reinforcement to to hold. You know, mm-hmm. when you see when you when you update it and you see oh the wow, the properties went up and the mortgage is going down. And then I'm also filling this bucket of cash with the cash flow, and you kind of see it growing like that. It yeah. makes it, it makes it easier to visualize why you should hold. Yeah. And it, uh, when I did that and got it all into a spreadsheet, it made it so much easier for my financing too. Like, Oh, you need a schedule of real estate. Oh, gosh, I used to spend forever on that. Now it's just all <laughs> there. I can export it. Here it is. And I make sure that my numbers are actually realistic. So I don't have like a, oh, this is what I tell the bankers and this is what I tell myself. So if I have to sell it, let's be honest with myself. What are these things worth? So I'm with you. That's huge to watch those numbers go up or down. Yeah, for sure. So what's your favorite quote? Uh, this is going to come from my grandmother who's late uh, deceased now, but she used to say, I'd say, I wish I could have that. Or I wish I could do this. And she'd say, well, you can wish in one hand a shit in the other and see which one. <laughs> first. So nice. I, just, I just always think about that. Whenever people say, I can, I wish for this. I wish for that. Oh, why don't you do something? You're not going to get anything wishing. Just go do something. So, I have, like I, I have like a weird, uh, like a, uh, a, a weird fear of being like a, a somebody who, who says they're going to do stuff and not do it. And like, like and it, it, it makes me compulsively take action. Like I remember when I first found out about real estate investing, I was so terrified that like, I was just going to be one of those people that just talked about it and never did it. And in mm-hmm. 20 years, I was going to look back that like, I forced myself into like, like, I remember it was before I had, it was right, right before I had kids and I like, I, I 
dove off the deep end and I bought two houses because like right now, I, and I know you have like 10 kids. Uh, I, I'm sure you're not sympathetic with me, but like right now I'm so busy with my two kids that like, if I were to start investing in real estate right now, like I probably would like, I just, I'm so distracted and overwhelmed, but like, I knew I was going to be here. And I was like, well, if I'm already neck deep in investing, like when I get into that high stress situation, like I'm not going to have any choice, but to keep going. But I knew like if I delayed, it was going to like right now, I, I know I wouldn't start. I'd, I'd, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I'd love to do that one day. I'd love to do that one day. But like since I'm in it and the, the snowball is rolling downhill, like mm -hmm. I've bought more properties since I had the kids than, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, at an exponential rate you know, cause the, mm -hmm. the snowball is rolling downhill at this point mm -hmm. where, but I would not have been able to pick up that momentum from where I'm at, from a busyness perspective in yeah. my life right yeah. now. Yeah. And encouragement to the, your, your new listeners out there who are getting started in this. Uh, those first few deals are the hardest. It, it's not going to get any harder after those first few Your deals may become more complicated, but you'll be more savvy investor. Uh, but yeah, saving your first $3,000 and, uh, doing, doing your first deals. Those are some of the hardest, but after you own it and you get that appreciation, you get that debt reduction, it can do so much for your future. So it, it, it does seem hard, but I would encourage everyone listening to know that it's going to get easier. Yeah, I, easier. Just like you said, it, it's going to, it's going to be the hockey stick. It's going to look like slow, slow, slow. And then, wow, we've got over 60 properties. When did that happen? <laughs> yeah. And, and I think the, like the, the, the hardest part in the beginning is that emotional yeah. It's like, it's, it's all a mindset thing, right? It's an emotional like barrier of fear. Like, is this a good deal? The people get analysis paralysis and I I've, and this may be irresponsible of me, but I tell people like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you lose money on your first deal. Like it's not going to make or break you. You just need to like get in it. You know what I mean? It, it'll all work. Like it's a proof. Like we've got the proof of concept. It's not like you invented some crazy widget and you're wondering if the market's going to take it. Like we know that rental real estate is a thing that has made millions of people millionaires and, and this system works. So like, I mean, I've got some bad deals under my belt as I'm sure you do too. Yeah. But like, if you buy enough of them, it's all going to come out in the wash. And if you stick with it long enough, like time is very good to, to as long yeah. as I always say, and I, I kind of stole this from Joe Fairless. He has the, these three irrefutable laws of real estate investing in there. As long as you have like you buy for cash flow and not appreciation, you have enough cash reserves and you have long term fixed debt like you really can't go wrong, you know, and something else that just is like a light bulb that went off to me the other day because of these because of these narrow deals like we're talking about from a cash flow perspective. And I, and I have like a, I have a sliding scale, right? If there's a ton of equity in a deal, like I don't need a lot of cash flow, but if there's not a lot of equity, I want some more cash flow. But on these, on these, on these sliding, on these, these thin cash flow deals, like they're all in long-term fixed debt. So yeah, the properties are going to appreciate, but what else is going to go up over time is the rent, but the mortgage is fixed. Right. So like, yeah, I'm not getting a, as much cash flow as I want today, yeah. but in 10 but years, in 10 years, when the rent has gone all the way up and that fixed mortgage is still in the same place, I'm going to have a lot bigger spread. Absolutely. Absolutely. Going back to what you said about like 
overcommitting or not wanting to commit publicly, one of the things that I'll force myself to do is uh, I'll be going over a project on Facebook or something and I'll say, yeah, and this is where we're going to build an accessory dwelling unit. And this is where we're going to do this. And so I'll like, I'll throw it out there. This is what's yeah. happening. And sometimes hold yourself say, accountable. Yeah. Sometimes my wife will say, Oh, we're building four ADUs on that tiny lot. What, what are you <laughs> going to tell me? I was like, well, that's part of it. I'm letting everybody know this is what I want to do. I've, I've come home and told my wife, we bought 12 units today. And she, you know, at first it was at first she would like, you know, kind of get shaky about it, but eventually she's like, yeah, okay, whatever. And just go about doing what she was doing. It doesn't even, it doesn't even phase yeah. her anymore. Well, my wife handles our short-term rentals. So as long as I'm not adding a bunch of short-term rentals without her permission, I'm, she'll give me grace. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So what, speaking of your family, what is your favorite thing to do outside of work? Uh, you know, Coeur d'Alene's a beautiful area. We have tons of mountains, and beautiful lakes where you can actually put your feet in the water and see your toes. It's pretty nice. In the South, you yeah. can't do that. Yes. <laughs> so the water is crystal clear. Uh, we do a lot of uh, camping, swimming. I went backpacking for the first time last week. That was a lot of fun. So a lot of outdoor stuff. Yeah. I went to uh, Coeur d'Alene in 2017 and did the Ironman 70.3. Oh, and I did it with you. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, you probably finished way before me. Um, <laughs> I, so I'm like, uh, to your point about not being able to see through your water um, in the South, I have zero desire to do any type of swimming in open water in Louisiana because it's, it's murky. It's, it's muddy. I feel like a moccasin's about to bite me, but in, in Coeur d'Alene, you just, I mean, it's, it's, it's beautiful it, in that lake. It's um, so cold, but it's beautiful. <laughs> But you know, it was cold. It was cold. Yeah. But and, and in fact, I went the day before and jumped in like three times to kind of like get used to it. And I was like, I'm not going to be able to do this. Like I would jump in and freeze up. Uh, and, but I was able to, I, got, I guess the adrenaline kicked in the next morning and I did the mile fine. What killed me was um, down here, we, everything's flat. Yeah. And I had been training on the flattest environment known to man. And then I go up there and I mean, going through those yeah. mountains, I, yeah. oh man, I was toast. You I was cross You to use the gear shifters on your bike. You didn't need them. I, I didn't. I didn't. I remember going up. I remember go at one point going up the, the mountain during the bike run and being like, I didn't know bikes could go this slow and not fall over. Right. Yeah. <laughs> going nowhere. Well, cool. Well, John, how can our listeners find out more about you, learn about your team, buy some real estate from you, invest with you? Yeah. Uh, Brokersinclair.com is our URL. You can find me on Facebook uh, or at Broker Sinclair on Twitter. Awesome. Well, John, thank you so much for joining our show. I really appreciate it. I really, uh, really enjoyed learning about your journey and uh, look forward to, to staying in touch and, and keeping up yeah. with you. Yeah, man. Had fun. Good chat. See you. All right. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to the Rent Roll Radio Show brought to you by Crestworth Capital. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please hit the subscribe button and leave us a rating and review. You can also visit us at CrestworthCapital.com or RentRollRadio.com or follow us on Facebook at Rent Roll Radio or at Crestworth Capital. If you would like to reach us, feel free to shoot us an email at info at rentrollradio.com or sterling at crestwordcapital.com. We hope you come back next week to join us on some more of our journey. Until then, happy investing. <laughs>